You may be seated. <laughs> I would invite you to turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6, the final chapter of Galatians. You will remember that uh, Paul has been writing to the Galatian congregation because he had heard that Judaizers had come in who were zealous to steal their liberty in Christ. They were men who were proclaiming it's a good thing to start in the faith. But once you have started in the faith, you need to continue on with works. You need to be constantly doing good works. You need to be observing the ceremonial laws, those laws that we know were completed in the Lord Jesus Christ that came to their azimuth in him. Uh, We know that they taught that the men and women, or rather just the men, sorry, of the Galatian congregation needed to be circumcised. They needed to be um, uh, set apart as Jews before they could become Christians. And Paul was distraught about this and wished uh, for the Galatians to hear the truth. But he was also zealous for other uh, things that were going on in the uh, congregation. And one of them, as we will see, is he was zealous for them to fulfill their obligations to those who were still preaching the truth to them. Uh, to their pastors, and also to make provision for the poor within their midst. This is something that we still need to be doing. But uh, before we read God's word, let's seek God's face and ask for his help. Great and gracious God, I pray now, Lord, that you would help me, that you would give me liberty to speak, and that you would put your word in my mouth, that you would help me to, to know the truth, to divide it aright. Let me not say anything to your people that's not in keeping with your will. Help me now to tackle a subject that's uh, a might embarrassing and difficult for pastors often to address, uh, that of tithing, Lord. I do pray that you would help us to uh, understand that the things that Paul was saying were not merely meant for the uh, Galatians many, many, many years ago, but they are just as important to us today. Help us then, O Lord, to understand and apply these things in our own hearts. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Galatians chapter 6, and I'm going to be starting with verse 6 and reading through verse 10. This is the word of the Lord. Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Well, as I said, having spent most of the, uh, this letter refuting the Judaizers and their false teachings and putting the Galatians on the right theological track, Paul is now turning to the welfare of the true teachers in the uh, Galatian congregation. And as he is closing, he wants to make sure that the various congregations in Galatia are taking care of their pastors and this is a topic that Paul brings up, not just in this letter, he brings it up again and again, both in reference to himself and in reference to the men that he has trained up and sent out into various congregations. As he writes letters, he reminds them to make provision for those who teach them. For instance, he writes the following to the Corinthians, and you can read along with me if you turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 
He starts out using the example of a soldier. This is a, uh, uh, an image that he uses often. But he says in 1 Corinthians 9, 7, whoever goes to war at his own expense, who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit, or who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock, do I say these things as a mere man, or does not the law say the same also? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is it oxen God is concerned about? Or does he say it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt this is risen, written, that he who plows should plow in hope, and he who threshes in hope should be partaker of his hope. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? If others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not used this right, but endure all things lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple? And those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar. Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. Now, it's, it's always a little embarrassing uh, to address this topic uh, as a pastor, uh, even when it's coming from the text. I always wish, whenever I'm preaching on the subject of offerings, that I was preaching to somebody else's congregation, uh, because obviously it, it sounds a little like special pleading. It's important that you pay your pastor, give him enough to live on. Uh, when it's coming from the person who obviously is benefiting directly from that teaching, and sometimes it's, it's difficult to address. But we need to remember this is not merely a material issue. It's not an employment issue. I'm not standing up here talking about employment law and fair pay and things like that. I am not a union shop steward speaking for the United uh, Pastors Delegation, number 386 or whatever. What I am doing is addressing a spiritual issue because Paul has addressed this spiritual issue in his word. And this is an issue that we need to remember that has dogged the church in every age. Now, why is Paul addressing it here? Well, because he knows all too well that while the Judaizers who were deceiving the people were probably doing fairly well, they were probably being abundantly provided for by the very people they were deceiving, he is worried that the men who were teaching the truth were probably having a hard time. Martin Luther wrote some very profound things on the subject. I wish I could get away with simply standing up and reading to you the commentary of Martin Luther on this particular section, but you would probably wonder at that point, what are we paying him for if all he's doing is reading the work of Martin Luther to us? But nonetheless, I would encourage you Go home. It's all over the Internet. Uh, one of the wonderful things about the dissemination of information in the modern age is that we're only a few clicks away from great material. Go home and read Luther on this subject. He is very good on it. But I want to read to you an extended portion where he explains this phenomenon of the, uh, the deceivers receiving and the uh, truth-tellers being neglected. He writes this. Now, the apostle also addresses the hearers of the word, requesting them to bestow all good things upon those who have taught them the gospel. I have often wondered why all the apostles reiterated this request with such embarrassing frequency. In the papacy, I saw the people give generously for the erection and maintenance of luxurious church buildings and for the sustenance of men appointed to the idolatrous service of Rome. I saw bishops and priests grow rich until they possessed the choicest real estate. I thought then that Paul's admonitions were overdone. 
I thought he should have requested the people to curtail their contributions. I saw how the generosity of the people of the church was encouraging covetousness on the part of the clergy. I know better now. As often as I read the admonitions of the apostle to the effect that the churches should support their pastors and raise funds for the relief of impoverished Christians, I am half ashamed to think that the great apostle Paul had to touch upon this subject so frequently. In writing to the Corinthians, he needed two chapters to impress this matter upon them. I would not want to discredit Wittenberg as Paul discredited the the Corinthians by urging them at such length to contribute to the relief of the poor. It seems to be a byproduct of the gospel that nobody wants to contribute to the maintenance of the gospel ministry. When the doctrine of the devil is preached, people are prodigal in their willing support of those who deceive them. We have come to understand why it is so necessary to repeat the admonition of this verse. When Satan cannot suppress the preaching of the gospel by force, he tries to accomplish his purposes by striking the ministers of the gospel with poverty. He curtails their income to such an extent that they are forced out of the ministry because they cannot live by the gospel. Without ministers to proclaim the word of God, the people go wild like savage beasts. Paul's admonition that the hearers of the gospel share all good things with their pastors and teachers is certainly in order. Now, as he mentioned, the doctrine of the devil in Luther's time was primarily being disseminated by Rome. It was coming from the Roman Catholic Church and its hierarchy. But in our time, we also have people who are disseminating doctrines of demons, who are teaching untruths, spreading them far and wide. Uh, Primarily, I, I think immediately of the word of faith movement and the support that it receives from thousands and thousands of gullible people all over America, and millions, really, if you take the entire world. Just to give you an idea of what I mean by that, Benny Hinn's net worth is around $42 million. Joel Osteen's net worth is around $100 million. But both of those men are put to shame in terms of how much they have raked in through their false teaching by Kenneth Copeland whose net worth is, if you can believe it, somewhere between $300 and $750 million. This is insanity when you think that none of these men on any good day preach anything close to the gospel, but rather tickle men's ears, telling them that they deserve health and wealth all the time, forgetting perhaps that the apostles were in poor and straitened circumstances all their lives and that Paul often spoke about his own ill health. Apparently, Paul didn't have the faith of Kenneth Copeland, which is a ridiculous supposition. Well, that's them, though. That's the Benny Hins and the Kenneth Copelands and the Joel Osteens. What of ordinary pastors? Surely they're doing very, very well as well, aren't they? Far from it. By contrast, here in North Carolina, and no matter what, uh, where I went, generally the story's the same, Pastors generally receive around uh, 50K a year. That's the average, which is lower than the average salary for the state. They are routinely the lowest paid graduate degree professionals, and many have to work second jobs just to get by. There's an old saying, Lord, you keep him humble and we'll keep him poor. And uh, that has been all too often literally true. Paul, of course, here, though, warns us, God is not mocked. 
Now, how is it that he says God is not mocked? How are they mocking him? If you'd asked the average Galatian, why are you mocking God? He would have said, far from it. I praise God. I love God. What do you mean, why am I mocking God? What then does Paul mean when he says that? How are they mocking him? They are mocking him. They are mocking God by despising the ministers that he had sent to them. You remember in the Old Testament when David sent ministers to comfort Hanun, the king of Ammon, when his father died, Hanun dishonored those messengers by shaving off half their beards. A Jewish man was not allowed to shave his beard. And so when they shaved off half their beard, they knew that they would be a ridiculous sight. They were religiously obligated to keep the other half on their face and walk about like that. And even worse, they cut their garments in half at the waist. So they had to walk home from Moab half naked. And he did that not to despise the messengers, but to despise the one who had sent the messengers to disgrace him. David, therefore, rightly took that personally as an affront to him and was furious with Hanun. Jesus takes it personally when his messengers are disgraced as well. He said to his apostles in Luke 10, 16, and here I'm quoting from the KJV version because it's so much stronger in the words that it uses. He that heareth you, heareth me. And he that despiseth you, despiseth me. And he that despiseth me, despiseth him that sent me. So we remember there's a chain here that Christ establishes. If someone despises the ministers of God, it is because they despise Christ. And often they'll say, oh, I, 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 you know, I want nothing to do with your Jesus, but I, I love God. I'm a spiritual person. No, no, you don't. If you despise Christ, you despise God the Father. For Jesus is the Son of the Father and most beloved you remember that the father, when he spoke in the New Testament and on two different occasions, he said, this is my beloved son, hear him. And it is the calling of the messengers of Christ to proclaim the message of the son in keeping with the teaching of the father. Therefore, to despise those messengers is to despise the father and his message. Now, it is seldom the case that a people shave off half their pastor's beard or cut his clothes in half or do anything like that. But by their actions, a congregation can actually show the pastor and indeed the world that they think his ministry, his message, and therefore his master are of very, very little value. And when they do that, God sees it. Men may not realize what they're doing, but the Lord does. Paul says that this is not only destructive, obviously, to the ministers of the gospel, it is also self-destructive. And what he does is he then makes this comparison to sowing and reaping. He uses an agricultural metaphor with an agricultural people. Now, they would have known that in order for a field to bear good fruit, you needed to sow. And if you wanted a lot of, of, of things to grow... You needed to sow a lot of seed. You needed to plant. And if you wanted good plants, you needed to plant good seed. He, they knew all of these things. So he makes this comparison to sowing and reaping. And he starts off by saying, he who sows seed sparingly will also reap sparingly. 
to give you an example of how that applies to, to uh, offerings and so on, uh, a friend told me a story uh, many years ago. Uh, whenever he goes on vacation, and I hope you do the same thing, uh, he plots out where his family is going to go to church. And they went out to one particular um, uh, seaside area, and they could only find one, uh, one church that had a statement of faith on its website that seemed to fulfill all of the criteria that uh, he was looking for. So they went there. And uh, the minister, he noted, seemed to be entirely distracted. It seemed like he was having great difficulty keeping his mind on the text that he was preaching from. And he said uh, that he missed some very basic applications from the text. And to tell the truth, uh, my friend said that he was angry at the man. He felt that he'd done a, a shoddy job. And so he waited until uh, you know, most of the congregation had gone. And then he approached him. And you know, he meant to give him a, a bit of his mind about how badly his family had been served. You know, We came here to hear the word of God from you. And we received a very, very meager portion from you. So the man heard what he said, and his face fell. And, and, the guy, and my, my friend said he thought he was going to burst into tears at that point. Uh, he was very apologetic. He explained that he couldn't take care of his family on his pastor's salary, so he also worked as a night desk clerk at a local motel. And as a result, he was constantly exhausted. He said he tried to, uh, to write his sermons when he had a free moment, but he, he was always busy. And so he, he was always operating with very little sleep, and he was always working on very little preparation. And he mentioned, uh, you know, my friend asked him, why, don't you, why doesn't the church pay you enough to, to keep you, yourself and your family? And he said that his pleas to increase his salary had gone unheeded. Now, this was in a vacation community. This was not a place where there were, and it wasn't, you know, a, a mill town where everything had gone out of business. And yet they weren't paying this man enough for him to be able to put his, his, his hand to the mill properly or his hand to the plow. He was not able to do his job because he was not being given enough. The people were sowing very, very sparsely, and as a result, they weren't reaping much in terms of pulpit ministry. Now, who was the congregation really impoverishing? We could say the minister and his family, but actually they were impoverishing themselves. And then Paul goes on in his, his letter to the Galatians to warn what happens, not just when people sow sparingly, but when they sow to the flesh, when they plant the wrong kind of seed, when all of their efforts are in the wrong areas. He's previously noted the, the things that mark the works of the flesh, didn't he? In Galatians chapter 5, if you'll turn back there with me, we can read the list of things that he said were associated with the flesh, these works of the flesh, as he puts it in chapter 5 and verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. All of these are things that mark people who are living to the flesh. Now, if this is where we put our resources... And trust me, I mean, we read these things, but some of them are very, very expensive. 
Drunkenness will cost you a lot of money if you're going to, uh, to make it your aim. Revelries. It costs a lot to host parties on a regular basis. I know this, unfortunately, from my own time before, the, uh, uh, before coming to Christ. Sorcery costs a lot. Buying those magic books, or in his time, the magic scrolls would cost you quite, quite a bit. All of these things, if we put our attention to them, will consume not only our, our monetary resources, they'll consume us as well. And the question is, what do we get back after that? The farmer spends his resources, doesn't he, to hopefully plant good fruit. He, he goes out into the field day after day. He plows up the soil, and then he plants seed. Let us say he plants corn. And then he puts down fertilizer. He makes sure that it's watered on a regular basis. And he is hoping that come harvest time, he will reap a full harvest of good and wholesome fruit. Hopefully not GMO altered that <laughs> makes us all slightly genetically different anyway. But good, organic, wholesome food that serves him, his family, and everyone who eats it well. But if he were to go out and he were to sow deliberately... Uh, things like tares. Now, tares were a weed, a grass, that looks like wheat initially. And you can actually, you could make bread out of tares, believe it or not, but it's poisonous. It will eventually make you very, very sick. I hate to say it, but there are plenty of people who are doing that. They are sowing tares, and then they are wondering why they are so afflicted with weakness why there is no health in them, why their marriage is not improving. If we sow things like lewdness and pornography, our family is not going to be strong. If we stay away from the means of grace and instead pour ourselves into entertainment, and we can do that even within the body of Christ. You can come to this place, bring along your deception device, your distractionator, and spend the entire time like this, or like this, or like that, or like this, and get absolutely nothing out of it. What do you hope to get from Twitter, or Twitch, or something like that, that would be better and more wholesome than the means of grace, the Word of God? But there are so many ways that we do that. We have access to that which will make us healthy, that which will make us fruitful, that which will make us joyful in the Lord, and we throw it aside. And we plunge into garbage, and then we wonder, why do we stink? Because we have not been doing that which would do good to us. We have not been sowing good seed and reaping good fruit. You remember that Paul said that the fruits of the Spirit were love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. Those are the kind of seeds that we should be planting. Those are the kind of things that we should be seeking to harvest. Gentleness, self-control. These are so very needful in our lives, in our families, in our jobs. And yet so often we find ourselves ignoring them. And sowing those things that produce bitterness, discontentment, hatred, lust, all of those things that drag us down. If we sow, though, the right things, though, we will increase not only in terms of this life, we'll increase in terms of the kingdom as well. And we're looking forward to that, that harvest of eternal life that is 
the Christian's great blessing and reward. But not just for ourselves, but also to others. You remember that the preaching of the word is the way that God ordinarily calls men to eternal life through faith in Christ. And so as we contribute to the means of grace, as we contribute to the preaching of the word, not just here in this place, but throughout the world by giving to missions organizations, for instance, what are we doing? We are literally contributing to the salvation of souls. I hope you see it that way, that when you give to a missions organization, for instance, like TCWM, which is striving, endeavoring to train pastors, not just in Uganda, but now in places like Rwanda and farther abroad in places like Kenya and so on, hoping to see the gospel spread as far as possible, good teaching to be spread in that portion of Africa. As we contribute to organizations like that, what are we doing? We are sowing gospel seed and looking for a good harvest. And we will find it in due time. Not to do so, remember this, brothers and sisters, is base ingratitude. Has not God given us all things? Has he not made so many different and wonderful blessings available to us? Including, of course, through his son, Jesus Christ, the greatest blessing of all, which is life, eternal life. He has given us the water of life also bubbling up within us, the presence of the Holy Spirit, like a fountain of life that never goes dry. And the things of this life that we're given, we can use them also to save those who are perishing in a worldly sense. Let's not forget that. There are people out there who desperately need our help in a material sense. We need to be, for instance, going out into the world with, as they used to say, the rice bowl in one hand and the gospel in the other. And we need to remember to keep those two things in balance. If we go out merely with the the rice bowl, what are we going to do? We're just going to make men well-fed as they go on their way to hell. But if we go out with the gospel, how do you preach the gospel to somebody who is literally dying on their feet Mm -hmm. and expect them to pay attention? And be filled with joy at a message while their tummy is grumbling all of the time. We say that we are going to use our substance, the things that God gives us, for the sake of others, for their salvation. In fact, when you become a member of this church, that's actually one of the vows that you take. That you'll be such a good steward of the resources that God gives you that you will use them for the increase of his kingdom. And I pray that we take that seriously. But... As we do that, as we take care of of the pastors, uh, the people that God has appointed over us to teach us, we should be eager not just to take care of the ministers and their families. We should also be seeking to do good to all men as we have opportunity to do so. But as Paul puts it, especially those who are members of the household of faith. We are not called to be stupid with our money in the way that we give it away. For instance, if a man tells you that he wants a bus ticket, that he's stranded in Fayetteville, and he's standing outside a liquor store, I can almost guarantee you he is not seeking after a bus ticket. He is seeking after booze. And the only thing you will be contributing to is sclerosis of the liver, ultimately, if you give him money in that case. But there are many destitute who need our help. And we should be seeking them out and doing what we can to relieve the needs of what they used to call in Scotland a long time ago, the worthy poor, doing all that we can to relieve their needs. We also, we we too often think in terms of, of just money. 
We need to be looking also to love the unlovely. One of the things that we should be doing is reaching out to those who are lonely. And I, I mean, spending ourselves on this. Kids, this is something that you can do. You may not have a lot of money, but there are often, for instance, children who come to this congregation who have been uprooted sometimes several times from various communities. Their friends are gone. Mm -hmm. They live in different states. Will people befriend them? Mm -hmm. Will people love them? Will they be able to break into the various cliques in the new church that they've come to? You could be the difference between them feeling that the kingdom is a very cold and unloving place and feeling rightly that it's like a family wherever they go. I would urge you, therefore, to seek out those who seem not to have any friends, those who are shut in, those who are by themselves. We need to remember also the downcast, those who are afflicted with depression and melancholy, those who struggle, their minds not being right. We should be doing all that we can to love them and to show them the gentleness, the winsomeness of Christ. And we should also be remembering the prisoners and the persecuted, both in this country and abroad. It should be our desire to reach out to them and to show them the love of Christ. You are often, as the saying goes, the only Bible somebody will read. What are they reading in you? Now, let me make a couple of applications here. The first one is very simple. Are you doing what Paul says? Now, I, I need to stress this point. It's very important. I do not know how much any family or individual within this congregation gives on a regular basis. I have no idea, and that's how it should remain. I try as much as I possibly can to have nothing to do with the finances of this church. That's to your benefit as well, so that I don't show favoritism or a jaundiced eye to anybody. And also, because if I were in charge of the finances of this church, we, the sheriffs would be kicking us out right about now because I would have messed everything up. But brothers and sisters, you know whether or not you're taking care of the needs of this church. I mean, you just need to ask yourselves if everyone in this church was giving as much on a regular basis as you give, would we be able to keep the lights on? Would we be able to pay the mortgage, pay the salary of the minister, pay for the, the normal fees that go into maintaining this church, keeping it clean and keeping the, the yard mowed and things like that. The only support we have is the support that's sitting within this room and some that we receive online, but that's it. It's the generosity, the goodness, the charity, the grace of God's people that keeps us going. And this, this counts for you as well, children. Many times you will think to yourself, I, I don't need to be tithing my parents' tithe. No, individually you all need to be giving to God's purposes. You need to be making your offering as well. You need to be training in that. It's not like you go to church and you say to yourself, I don't need to be worshiping, my parents will worship for me. Well, I have to tell you, the offering is actually part of the worship of God. And it shows often the condition of our hearts. Will you serve God? Or are you despising him in this particular area, saying you're not worthy of my income? Amazon, they are worthy of my income. Netflix, they are worthy of my income. Cold Stone ice cream is worthy of my income. And of course, oh, the movie theater, they are definitely worthy of my income. And they're getting more and more of it on a regular basis. 
Well, brothers and sisters, remember, you reap what you sow. If you reap under the flesh, you're going to sow under the flesh. And it's not going to be lasting. Second thing is, just to give you some encouragement, don't grow weary in doing good. So often we, we figure, because we don't see immediate results, we don't, we don't often even see the results of the money that we give directly, but it's not doing any good. Or that nobody appreciates our sacrifices. Well, first off, remember that the Lord sees what you're doing. And you remember the Lord Jesus Christ actually told a, a parable about how the rewards would be different according to the way that we use what God gives us. But I want to give you an example from history. Uh, very few people today remember the name of Selina Hastings. Mm -hmm. She was actually the Countess of Huntingdon. She lived from uh, 1707 to 1791. This is a woman who uh, the sands of time have forgotten for the most part, and yet her role in the religious development of Britain and America is incalculable. How was that the case? Well, she was greatly used by God in getting the Great Awakening going in England. How did she do that? Was she going out like Joyce Meyer or Beth Moore and essentially preaching? No, she didn't. What did she do? She used her wealth, her inherited wealth and the money that she had gotten. She was a widow from her husband specifically to advance the gospel. And then she brought in her circle of friends to help that. She would invite friends over and then she would invite George Whitfield over. And they would have an opportunity to hear the great evangelist and preacher in her home. And then she would encourage them, for instance, to give to his home for the poor, to give to missions in Sierra Leone, establishing churches there, or to give for the establishment of a pastor's college in Treveca in Wales. She helped to establish the preaching of the gospel, to pay for ministers, not only to go throughout England, but to go throughout the colonies of the United States. And thus was one of the people who helped to put wheels and horseshoes to the Great Awakening, which so changed this country and changed England. One of the reasons why your revolution, may God bless it, did not look like the French Revolution and why England never had a revolution was because of the Great Awakening because the worldview of men had been inclined towards Christ and godliness instead of human reason, uber alles, and social disintegration, and all of those things that the French tried to bring in with their, their terrible, bloody revolution. She did great good through both her money, through her influence, and so on, and through her friendship to these various evangelists, men like Wesley and Whitfield. The world doesn't remember her, but you know who remembers her? The Lord remembers her. And her praises will be sung for what she has done. Let's be like that. We may not have as much money as Selena, Countess of Huntingdon. She is estimated to have given over 100,000 pounds to the work of the gospel. That may not sound like much in, in terms of our, our money, but back then, a family of four could live for 31 pounds in a year. She gave an immense fortune to see the gospel advanced, and through her prayers and her efforts, it was. Let's be like that. Let's be thinking every day, what can I do to advance the kingdom where I am and with the resources that God has made available to me?
Let's go before him now. God, our gracious Father, we thank you so much that you remind us that every part of us should be spent in kingdom work, whether it be prayer, whether it be helping those who need our assistance, whether it be maintaining uh, those structures that you have raised up, our denomination, the ARP, the ministers within it, and the various uh, organizations that are seeking to carry the gospel far and wide. Help us to remember them. Help us to do what we can with what you have given us. Help us to take the talents that you've put in our hands and not bury them and not squander them, So uh, certainly in prodigal living, but instead let us use them for the increase of the kingdom so that Christ's name might be hallowed here on earth as it is in heaven. And we preach and pray and call upon you to do these things for his sake, in whose name we 